Our reading from God's holy word this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, Who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. For all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, we believe that. We believe that this word will stand forever. Indeed, we believe that the word made flesh will stand forever. Even now as he stands at your right hand living to make intercession for the likes of us. Would you in these moments together as we ponder along with Mary so many years ago, the riches of what it is that you have done in the gift of giving to us your son, we pray that you would open up our hearts to truly understand, to believe, to see the sign which you have given, to treasure it, and to follow the fulfillment who is Christ the Lord, all the days of our lives. Come now and teach to us from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
There's so many different ways, isn't there, to look at the story of Christmas. So many different reflections we could offer this morning from Luke chapter 2. I'm sure a number of you in this room have heard a myriad of messages on Luke chapter 2. I want to simply focus on three things this morning that are, well, jumping off the text at me this last week as I was reading through this text. The things that assured my own heart of God's kindness and love towards us, His people. I want to consider with you when the time of Jesus' coming, the how that He came, and the why for why He came. When Jesus came, the timing, how He came, the delivery, and why He came, the deliverance. I want to start with this when Jesus came, and it's, well, it's right there at the beginning of the text. It's actually something we don't tend to think about, but it's this decree, this decree that we read about right at the beginning of Luke chapter 2. It's interesting, isn't it, that the birth story of Jesus opens with a reference to a Roman emperor. His name is right there on the page, Caesar Augustus. Uh, Directly related, of course, to Julius Caesar, made, of course, well-known by Shakespeare, Caesar Augustus was in some ways a sinister genius, uh, the worst possible kind of combination. A man filled with a hunger for power, with the manipulated genius of subversion, and when he didn't get his way, a proneness to violence. He had made his way to the throne through all forms of manipulation, accruing all kinds of authority and power for himself, a power that would institutionally actually last in the Roman Empire for centuries. Now, his real name is Octavian. I know you all knew that. But the Roman Senate gave him the title Augustus Caesar. And you hear in that word Augustus, August, don't you? He was an august man, the Senate giving him the name that, well, means holy. It means reverent, someone who is august, striking awe in those who are around him. Interestingly, a title like that had never been given to an emperor previous to Octavian. It was a term that was only used of Greek gods. But Augustus Caesar was on the throne during a time when, well, emperors were beginning to take on the titles of deity. And emperors themselves were beginning to claim divine right. In fact, some Greek cities actually adopted Augustus Caesar's birthday as the beginning of the new year in Rome. And some were even hailing Augustus Caesar as a kind of savior of the world. You see, when Luke mentions Augustus Caesar at the opening of Luke chapter 2, he's giving to us something of all of that backstory. And he's teaching us something very important that the original hearers of his gospel would have known. That this emperor was claiming to be divine. This emperor was claiming to mark time, the beginning of the year. This emperor was dubbed by some the savior of the world. The one who was ruler over the greatest kingdom in the planet at the time, even Rome. And Luke, drawing that whole of that backstory and history into the narrative 
of the birth of Jesus Christ is teaching us that right underneath the nose of this Caesar Augustus, right in the midst of this Caesar Augustus' decree for the census, probably to get more taxes from the people, God was fulfilling a decree that Caesar Augustus was merely a pawn in the plan of Almighty God. That the decree of God was being worked out through the decree of Caesar Augustus. That centuries previous, Micah had told us in Micah chapter 5 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And we all wondered, well, how is he going to get to Bethlehem? Well, with the help of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is going to call a census and out of his hunger for power and money and authority. And he will be used as the fulfillment for a much larger decree, a much greater plan, going long back before the foundation of the world. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? The using of the decree of Augustus Caesar to bring forth, well, shall we say it, the true Augustus Caesar? The true august emperor, the one who is really holy, the one who is really reverent, the one who truly can take the title of the divine, who will mark time from B.C. to A.D., from the one who will be truly known as the Savior of the world. In the fullness of time, Paul writes, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, uniting all things in Him on heaven and in earth. This is the decree of God. And it gives us comfort today as we come in the midst of a world full of chaos in lives where we can't make heads or tails sometimes of the threads that are coming loose from the fabric of our own existence. That in the midst of power-hungry rulers, in the midst of subversion and violence, in the midst of a time of great upheaval and disunity, that the Lord would use the likes of a power-hungry emperor to bring forth the true Augustus Caesar, who today, my friends, as we gather in the presence of the Lord, sits on the only throne that matters, the throne of heaven itself. This is when Jesus came. He came by the decree of God. And interestingly, by the decree of Augustus Caesar. But how did Jesus come? Well, this is the delivery. Mary's delivery. And it's quite simple in the text. It's actually mysteriously simple for the ladies in this room who have delivered children. It's given one sentence, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Well, there's a lot packed into that sentence, as we all know. And the ladies among us who have had children know that when it's time, well, it's time. And there's no stopping it. And yet, this is not the time that Mary... Or probably any mother would have chosen. Having a firstborn child is, of course, one of the greatest moments of one's life. You, you want a suitable facility. You want the best atmosphere. 
And you want the highest of skilled help in the midst of the birth. And Mary, well, she had none of these things. Bethlehem actually had little to offer as a town itself. The inn spoken of there in verse 7 was primitive at best. It's probably not like a cozy English B&B. This is probably a rudimentary inn, just stalls where those who would stay there would have been upon straw for a bed and maybe had a small fire for heat and for cooking. And so when we're told that there was no room for them, we're saying there was no room for them on the straw by the fires that were probably given in those rudimentary stalls. Instead, they were going to be, well, out with the animals, outside of the common enclosures in that rudimentary inn. They would have been out where there wasn't the straw, where the only manger that would be given is that feeding trough, the first cradle of Jesus's, where none of the basic even necessities were made available to them. Mary and Joseph were there, and there was no accommodating facility for the birth of this Augustus Caesar, this Savior of the world. And you can imagine how fearful Mary would have been. This is her first child. She's a teenage girl. She's far from home. She's nine months pregnant, and she's feeling contractions for the very first time. And you can imagine that, well, Joseph there with her, um, asking her, is it, is, it, is it really now? Is now the time? And they're, you know, they're timing. They're, they're seven minutes apart. They're, they're five minutes apart. They're three minutes apart, Joseph. And, and Joseph is, you know, we always talk about Mary being afraid. I, I'm sympathetic to Joseph here. Um, Joseph is scrubbing in for the very first time. For delivery. I am going to have to deliver this baby, he thinks to himself. And not just any baby, according to Gabriel, the Messiah. The one who has come as the Savior of the world. No accommodating facility and, and no skilled help in the midst of this birth. Well, at least she has a good atmosphere. Can you imagine... Ladies delivering with the stench of a barnyard in and around you. This was far from her dream. It's far from what she would have even imagined when Gabriel had told her that she would be the Christ bearer. You can imagine all the promises and all the hope and all the expectation. I mean, if I'm going to deliver the Messiah, if I'm going to deliver the, the king, the Augustus Caesar, surely the red carpet will be laid out for my delivery room. So much for the best atmosphere. And yet, this is the plan of God, isn't it? According to the decree of Augustus Caesar, according to the contractions of Mary, and now is the time, the right time, the right place, and in exactly the right way, how could this be? Why is it that God's ways are just not our ways? Why is it that His thoughts are just not our thoughts? It's, it's completely wrong. It's absolutely right. That's the way that it is. Why is it? How could this be? Why would the Lord do it this, this way? Well, 
That leads us to the third point. That not only do we see when Jesus came, how Jesus came, but we actually, we catch a glimpse of why Jesus came. You know, just as the miracle of Christ's birth is taking place, there's that band of shepherds. We looked at them a little bit last night. There they were keeping their their flock by by night. They thought it was just going to be a normal evening, right? They had done this many, many times before. Um, There they were gathered by the fire. A buffalo bill has picked up the sixth string, and he's plucking away at a tune. And they're telling stories about the Wild West as the sheep are neighing in the background. And these angels appear, and it changes their life forever. They come with this announcement, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You know, really often when we read those verses, we, we stop right there. Only occasionally do we really move into that next section that says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. Had you wondered about that? This will be a sign for you? What does that mean? Is, is the angel saying to the shepherds, this is how you'll know it's, it, it's the Christ child. This is how you'll know it's a baby. You know, there's so many babies in the stalls in Bethlehem. So in case you miss it, this is the one in the manger with the swaddling cloths. Is that, is that why the angel gives this clue to the shepherds? I mean, these are very dense shepherds. As you know, they need all the help they can get. Well, certainly there's something of just the description here that sits on the turf surface of the text, but it's far more than that. We read a little earlier, didn't we, in the service from Isaiah chapter 7. And do you remember the language of Isaiah chapter 7? That this will be a sign for you? That a virgin will be with child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. A sign in the scripture, you see, is is more than just an identity marker. It's more than just uh, the the physical sight and the recognition. It's it's a pointer. It's a revealer. It's it's a director. It's a guide. It's meant to... It's meant to call us into paying attention, not just to what's there, but to the meaning of what's there. To the significance of what's there. Don't miss the babe in the manger. I'm not just asking you to go look and see him. I'm asking you to see him. To know the sign. To know what it means, to take it in, to believe it, to treasure it. A sign in the scripture is always given to confirm God's faithfulness, that you can trust his promises, that he will fulfill what he has said. When the angel says, When you see this babe in the manger wrapped in swaddling claws, She's saying, I don't want you to just see this humble and what looks like tragic beginning of a child's life. I want you to see the sign. For this delivery tonight 
is for your deliverance. You see, the glory of this child is found in his humility tonight. The strength of this child is found in his weakness. The riches of this child is displayed in this poverty. This Jesus is ruler of heaven and earth, and he is the poorest and the most desperate child in Bethlehem. It's a sign to you. See it. Take in its meaning. Treasure it. Believe it. He is the prince who has become the pauper. He is the one who has given up all the riches of heaven in order to be made like you. He is the one who is filled with all righteousness in order to be charged with your sin and shame. He is the prince who has become the pauper so that we who are the paupers might be princes and princesses in the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul writes, For you know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ was that he who was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, this babe in the manger, in his entrance into the world, is showing you the mission that he has come to accomplish. To be made like you in every way, yet without sin. So that you who are full of sin may be made like him in all of righteousness. Take in its meaning. Behold it, see it, believe it, treasure it. For today, not just to the shepherds, but to you and to me, Christ is born. The Savior of the world. And your Savior. If you trust in Him. Father in heaven, we pray this day. That this Christ. Would find hearts here. That have prepared for Him room. We take in the sign. We see it. We believe it. We treasure it. And by faith we see Jesus today. And we long for the day when faith shall turn to sight and prayer to praise. That Christmas will give way to an eternal kingdom in which every day is the day of Christmas, the day of Christ. Lord, make this day more resembling that day until that day is now. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.